excited for the uh podcast today because this week's been a bit boring oh has every other week has (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah true yeah so boring maybe pick the worst time to start a podcast or the best time because at least it's something to do you know that's true what has your social isolation been faring this week well as as i um said last week i love it yeah, into it. I really enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. What about Easter? Did you miss having the family around doing a big Easter hunt? Well, the old grey Easter hunt. Just, just between the listeners of this podcast, um, we may have broke a few social distancing laws in the grey house. Oh, may I be careful about announcing <laughs> out the podcast? That's yeah. dangerous. <laughs> um, yeah. So we have these little cousins, and it was that like forty degree day. Mine even been before Easter. Yeah, I think it was a little bit before Easter. But and they we they didn't have a pool, and you know, because we're both privately school educated. <laughs> what? <laughs> we had a pool, so um, they came over and had a swim. That sounds real nice, mate. Yeah, that sounds lovely. I'm a little bit concerned that it's you know breaking the law, but you know sometimes you got to break the law. Mate, sometimes rules are made to be broken. Yeah, exactly. Know? And WA is doing, you know, four new cases over the past 24 hours in WA. That's great. Three of them from the cruise ship, the yeah. Armada yeah. or whatever. <laughs> so, looks like we're doing okay. And there's talk yeah. about relaxing things in, uh, next month if things stay the same. So, turns out we just live in the lucky country, Rob. Uh, yeah, turns out Mark McGowan is just an absolute oh, legend of a, of a premiere. Oh, <laughs> man, did we talk about the kebab video last week? Have you seen that? I have seen that. It's so funny. And it is hilarious. Um, we I, should link it. The, the funny, we'll put it up on our Instagram. Maybe. Yeah. Um, the funniest thing I found about that was the fact that the hand, the sign reader, was also... <laughs> <laughs> like cracking up having a chuckle <laughs> and i'm not oh, sure man. if she she had to do that to like put across tone or if she was genuinely laughing that's interesting i think she does i think the, your facial expression is a big deal in sign language it probably is i'm a bit of a unfortunately where well, <laughs> sorry nick nick is an expert wait this is stuff. a linguistics podcast <laughs> <laughs> Well, if it was a li- linguistics podcast, I get to talk about Noam Chomsky more. So. That's true. That's true. Noam Chomsky, <laughs> linguist, political scientist, biologist, crazy guy. All-round hero, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Man, we should do an entire topic on him one one episode. Uh, didn't we do that last episode <laughs> yeah, with us in Media Bias? That's Two right. episodes ago, maybe. One source, Noam Chomsky. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Rob, I read an article, I, I sent it to you as well, that The Guardian Online, which we both mentioned that we read in episode one, yep. has now moved to number four in, in the most uh, read news source online in Australia. That doesn't really surprise me because I think a lot of people starting to catch on to the fact that Murdoch owns everything. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it was like eight or something, and now it's four. And everyone's yeah. saying like, yeah, go to the Guardian. I, I agree. I'm, I'm over the moon. I think it's so good. Yeah, I think it's good. I think the more uh, independent news, the better, really. Yeah. You know, yeah. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, can you guess the top three? The Australian number one, right? No, Australian's like 10. 
online. Really? Yeah, I think because it's a pay, oh, it's behind a paywall. Oh, okay, online. Yeah, yeah fair enough. Yeah. Uh, news.com? No, news.com's number two. Number two. You, you okay. might be a little surprised by number one. Number one. The financial review? No, it's the ABC. Yeah. It's the ABC number one. Um, and then, yeah, news.com, Seven News Media, and then Guardian now. Yeah, cool. Yeah, which is... I don't That's know. pretty good. It's a nice spread, actually, I think. <laughs> yeah. I'm really glad it's a little higher, but I'm happy the ABC's at top. Yeah, that, I mean, I don't mind the ABC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I love the ABC. They're pretty good, yeah. All right. As, as, as discussed last week. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, yeah. Please refer to last week's episode. Yeah, yeah we've just started talking about media again. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's change the agenda. No, <laughs> no Rob, should we, get in, should we get into it? What? Yeah, real short intro to this week. Is it? Only for four and a half minutes. Man, I'm itching for it. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing else to do. I've just been thinking about the pod all week. Okay, all right. <laughs> what's up? This is this is your this is your idea, Rob. This is your kind yeah. of brainchild. What what's this week's first topic? Well, this week I'd like to focus on the differences between states, um, in their response to coronavirus. And I think the main my main point here is and i think you will argue with me with this which is great we love having arguments on <laughs> this good. podcast rare uh, and yeah it's very rare uh my main argument is it's not a coincidence that new south wales has double the rate of victoria and queensland for example despite mm. you know only having maybe what five hundred thousand more people mm-hmm. yeah definitely some something going on there yeah right Not um so yeah the 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 point was uh, basically to talk about New South Wales' response to this and the lead-up of New South Wales government before this compared to uh, Victoria and Olos, because we, we're in WA, we'll talk a bit about uh, Big Daddy Mark McGowan. Marco! <laughs> the, the, you know, the thing I think is... The only thing I really know about this is that that cruise ship in New South Wales was, like, critical. There was that cruise ship... Is it Diamond Princess, I think? Yeah. Um, that came into harbour with like heaps of people with coronavirus on board. Yeah. And in a in a critical blunder, some border force dude let off like five thousand people from the cruise ship, of which like two hundred had coronavirus or something. Yes, and the great the best thing about that, they weren't they were, didn't have to self isolate or anything, they could just catch a bus <laughs> right down to the C B D and you know oh, yeah. give everyone a kiss on the bus and the <laughs> Oh man. What a crit and they've linked that to so many more community yeah, transition like, cases. It's like half in New South Wales. Oh, it's so bad. Well, is that is that important? So Oh yeah, definitely. So um I was gonna sort of start this one uh, with my first argument about how just ridiculously underfunded New South Wales' health system is. Uh due to in no small part them being uh, a Liberal Party state since the, you know, twenty ten route. There, uh, years. Gladys Berejiklian is yep. the premier. Koala killer, as I like to call her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so they have sort of defunded and semi-privatised a lot of their health services. Um, and there's been a lot of reports. I'm happy to link them in the in, in our Instagram posts if anyone is interested. Yeah, but yeah, saying that, that, you know, they have to um, supply... You know, the New South Wales Health have to give the government, you know, $50 billion or something because they, you know, went over budget last year and they just, like, can't do it anymore. They're just so criminally underfunded. And, you know, in this time when we need health services more than anything and in the biggest state in Australia and probably the most important state in Australia, considering the PM lives there, 
Mm. And a lot of really important people in the business world will live there as well, I imagine. And you'd think that that might be the state where that it gets hit first as well and would can like exactly. affect how the other states are hit because like Sydney is the, probably our number one like airport destination. Yeah, exactly. A lot of, a lot of tourists want to come to Sydney because they have the bridge and the, um, the harbour, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a really important point and you wouldn't see uh, hospital defunding in this level in Victoria, for example. Yeah, so they have a Labour Premier right now. Andrew? Daniel Andrews. Daniel Andrews, that's it. Yep. Um, do you think that's kind of... It reminds me of the US, because I think one of the many reasons that the US has been hit so badly is that, as we alluded to the other week, their health health system is junk. It's so bad. Yeah. Um, and obviously that, you know, it, the, the health system is in critical need right now. Um, and if it was already terrible going in, it's going to fare far worse. Yeah, definitely. Um. That's a really interesting point because, yeah, you can see even between states the difference in how healthcare responses has affected it. And I don't think healthcare is really the overriding overarching factor in stopping this virus, in all honesty. I think it's more just stopping the spread rather than actually, you know, um, treating the virus. Because I think, as we've seen, I don't think we can treat the virus if we don't stop the spread. Yeah, and you're right. The Lombardy in northern Italy has one of the best healthcare systems in the world. It's actually a very rich part of the country, but that has been uh, like was the worst hit region yeah, in Italy. Exactly. Um, so obviously, you know, having a healthcare system, you can you can probably deduce might be useful. It's not the only thing that will prevent coronavirus really spreading and being quite awful. Um, and the New South Wales are still not doing nowhere near our level. I think their their uh, deaths and transmissions are are falling, but they're still much above WA's level. So at least they're looking a little better. Yeah, well, WA is. I I think WA might be the best um, example of how you respond to this virus. In all honesty, I think Mark McGowan has done a terrific good job uh, job there. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, from closing board uh, into regional borders, um, and generally just being a strong PM in this time, funding the healthcare system, et cetera, et cetera, and you know, using Rottnest as a um, quarantine mm. island, pretty much. Um, and that's a, that's sort of nicely brings me on to the next point of that Princess Ruby shit, which is linked to so many cases in New South Wales. And I know Sydney is a really big harbour, and it would have been easy to put uh, that ship into Sydney and bring those people in. So when you bring those people in, you can either self-isolate them in Sydney, which, sure, you can do that, or I, I think this is a better idea. You could have sent them down to Wollongong. They have a they have a harbour down there, and Wollongong is not as an important a city to Australia as Sydney is, in my I opinion. hadn't heard of it <laughs> before now, so, yeah, I'd say that's about true. Um. And yeah, I think it was 2,000 people, so it would have been maybe a bit of a stretch on the Wollongong, you know, like the tourism industry, I guess, (laughs) to self-isolate them there. But they weren't even self-isolated in Sydney. So, I mean, it couldn't have been worse than than what they did. Yeah. Like, I think that decision was probably the worst possible decision they could have made. Definitely, in hindsight. In hindsight, um, yeah, hindsight yeah. obviously is twenty twenty here, and it it's really really pleasuring to me to be able to sit up on a high horse <laughs> from my bedroom. But um, <laughs> uh, yes, from no the recording studio, professional oh, yeah, recording studio, <laughs> really professional, as the Instagram will be able to see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say though that was gonna be one of my points is that um, 
with the benefit of hindsight, it's quite easy to look back on it. But I think, I don't know when that was. Um, I, it was, I think it was March 19th. Okay. Well, Re- that's regardless, it was pretty obvious that, that coronavirus quite, was going to be a big deal. Yeah, that is quite late. <laughs> um, so that, I guess, is quite more of a blunder. But I will also say that um, my understanding was that was not really a government decision as much as a like um, border force decision made on the ground. Yeah. Um, and didn't really come from the PAM's office or the Premier's office. I might be wrong about that, but I think that's right. I'm not sure, unfortunately. Um, but regardless, I think you, surely your, your government has to be in control of that. You know, you can't yeah. leave that to the people on the ground. Yeah, you're right. It's such a critical decision. It's such it a critical been. decision. Yeah. And maybe that's maybe that's not a failing of the liberal the liberal premier in that case or uh, Berejiklian as she's named. <laughs> yeah. Um, but a more of a case of you know failings within uh, intergovernmental organisations. Yeah, definitely. Um, so that that might be, and that sort of links back to my defunding argument. But regardless, it, that can be taken as an argument against me, and I'm well and truly happy to pass that as an argument against me. Yeah. In this case, um, and. In that case, you've got to make sure that these government organisations are working for you as a premier. Yeah, you've got to make sure they're well-funded, as you said, and working for you. Um, and, like, I think it's very fair to make, like, a, a criticism of um, that the Glenn government and, like, that specific Liberal government. And that's not, like, us saying, um, like, every Liberal government is, like, inept because, of, like, of course that's not true. They've been, like, inept Labour governments as well. Um, but, like... <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> There was so, no look between me and Rob just then. We're yeah, totally no. unbiased. Um, yeah, but, you know, uh, this is kind of speaks more to the performance of one government. And the, the, the Gladys Berejiklian government has, in many respects, been pretty bad. Like the, the Sydney light rail thing. Yeah, that's... <laughs> just the huge, like, Sydney tried to build, like, a light rail in their city, um, and it's just been a huge disaster. It's cost so much more than it was planned it's like gone way over time and no one wants to use it yeah it's slow uh you know worse than (laughs) driving it's not even built by an australian company so all this money is going overseas oh so So really it's probably the worst infrastructure project in in the state in in the country you know oh i don't know (laughs) nbn was pretty bad wait who's responsible for the nbn all that (laughs) i'm saying in the last year yeah oh yeah let me preface my my point um nbn is is not too bad now it's here but it was much sooner um (laughs) yeah that i kind of i mostly agree with your criticism there though of of yeah and i think you can you can see the difference uh just looking at victoria victoria hasn't got much of a smaller population and new south wales has got more than double of the infection rates and you can put some of that down to uh the princess and i'll certainly pay that but surely that goes back to government ineptitude you know yeah and a poorly funded healthcare system doesn't help the situation at all and Daniel Andrews has really controlled it in Victoria. I think they've well and truly fat, uh, flattened the curve. Sorry. Good on you, Dan. Yeah, big fan of Daniel Andrews, actually. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's a um, uh, a really good point. Um, do you have? Is there anything more to say about that? Do you reckon? No, I, I don't think so. I think um, I don't think I'm probably as well versed in this as I really should be, considering I'm talking about it on a podcast that. We'll go live. <laughs> so, uh, right, we're just having a chat. No, no, worries. <laughs> no one's going to correct but, us. Um, 
Yeah, I'm, I've, I've think I've got a little bit of uh, research uh, and reading behind my points here, and I'm happy to respond to anyone on Instagram if they want to have a chat about this, and I will try and keep it civil. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll rear him in if he doesn't. Yeah. Exactly. Another thing is, uh, I'll just say very quickly is, um, a lot like like all issues in political science, which is politics in general, um things are always very, very complex and it's usually many different factors that contribute to one outcome as opposed to just one. And yeah, and sometimes instead of being like very clearly one, it is like equally three or more factors. So like it's definitely valid to talk about a lot of these things that would, you know, make sense kind of rationally when you think about it, but we don't have like, I don't know, any kind of data or scientific evidence to prove that. Yeah, I think yeah, that that's the... A big crux of my argument is that while I highly disagree with how Berkshire Clinton has handled this and am very critical of how they handled, especially the Princess Ruby, I don't think she was directly responsible for Ruby, but she should have been, you know? Yeah, definitely. And as a Premier, you should, you know, take um, control of those situations. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, it, it maybe McGowan doing so well here would look good for his re-election and Gladys, the opposite, it'll be bad, well, although she was up for very, election last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah everyone will forget about this in two years' time. Same with ScoMo. Who remembers the bushfire crisis? Anyone? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, Everyone loves him now. He's got like 62% approval rating or something crazy like that. But did, did the GFC, did Rudd's response to the GFC harm his re-election in 2020? It hit no, well, no, he got booted out. It Yeah, it definitely harmed Labor's his, really him. Because this is well, such a big economic well, crisis. Labor lost seats in, at 2010. Yeah. Um, But. <laughs> That's true. There's so many it factors. It doesn't, I don't think it, I think it would be much more beneficial for Scott Morrison because he, as discussed in the last episode, I think he's got a few more horses backing him than Rudd did. True. <laughs> true. <laughs> All right, should we get on, get to the second topic? Yes, I'm really excited for this, by the way. You're really excited for this topic? Yeah. Yeah, this is a fun one. So we've talked a little bit before about um, China and kind of their race to world hegemony. Um, uh, but what we haven't really gone into huge depth about is the all the different things that affect the stability of the Chinese state and government and especially the weaknesses um, or like potential threats to to China's Chinese stability, and there are a lot of them. And yes. I think that, that it's worth pointing out. As always, we'll preface this and say, Z, Z, mate, if you're listening, we we're giving a salute. <laughs> yeah, we're big fans of you. Maybe not. Maybe we have a little few issues about how you run the country, but we're big fans of you. Yeah. And we will, at the, when the time comes, submit to our Chinese overlords. That's exactly that. And the, the concern is that the, the reason why we make this joke, well, this joke as we're putting it, is we we'll, we might work in China one day. And we... <laughs> Mate, this goes online. It'll be there yeah. forever. I uh, know. That's the thing. We're, we're kind of fucked. We're kind of... <laughs> Shit. Bitch. Matt, cancel the recording. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Nah, it's all right. We can figure out a way. I'm so sure. what are some weaknesses? What's your favorite weakness? The Chinese system My to favorite talk about. weakness, because we do this in class, so we should yeah. be experts. Uh, it's kind of a weird one to say. My favorite weakness. I think the weakness, <laughs> the overall weakness that I think is the biggest threat, is how I'll put it, is the simple fact that it's not a democracy and social unrest, uh, as shown in all of history, social unrest almost always 
overtopples a one-party dictatorship. Mm. And we saw that nearly come to fruition in uh, Tiananmen Square in 89. However, they cracked down on that. And I think, you know, as we discussed, I think it was in maybe episode two or before, the younger Chinese population now is more loyal to the Communist Party than any other uh, pop, um, generation. Yeah. Yeah, that state media mechanism is working really well. They've had time to refine it. Exactly. Um, But on the flip, you know, like we haven't really seen um, China hit a major slump in like the economy. Um, So maybe that will change some attitudes. Um, Exactly. It's, yeah, it's very hard to tell. But I definitely think that is a a huge weakness. With, um, With democracies, you know, whenever there's unrest, it gets vented in a healthy, stable way in elections. Um, and then everyone's happy usually, um, and it's you know I can't think of an example off the top of my head of a democracy completely crumbling and going towards authoritarianism. At least a kind of established one that didn't have uh, that was relatively stable otherwise. Yeah, and uh, especially in modern history. Yeah, and by modern I mean post World War Two, for example. Yeah, the Greek democracies don't count. <laughs> Ancient Nor, nor does the Weimar Republic. Yeah, even true. though that wasn't really an established <laughs> democracy. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, the other the other fact is that um, democracy a democracy has never gone to war with another democracy. Yep, democratic peace theory. I think that's called. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My good old friend Immanuel Kant loves his democratic peace theory, which is the idea that like if as the world tends towards democracy, the world will also tend towards peace because they go hand in hand. Yep. And towards so to speak to China on that fact is that if it's not a democracy, it's um more kind of um. Uh, inclined to be violent towards other states and incite conflict, which may incite further stability, or may not, um, but could potentially lead to instability. Well, I think it'd be very silly for China to start a war, particularly if it's against, as a lot of people would predict, it would be against the US, whether that is a like a real um, you know, guns war or even a slightly more exaggerated version of the trade war that we saw yeah. earlier. Um, because the US, I don't think, even if it loses its number one position as world's biggest economy, world's biggest military, etc., etc., I don't think it'll ever lose its position as a world leader. Yeah. In the fact that it just has so many allies compared to China, anyways. Allies and ideological power, which exactly. we talked about um, yeah, a few weeks power, ago. Yeah. yeah, so important. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> oh, no, that's all right. Um, yeah, definitely um, China being an authoritarian state, huge weakness. I mean, it doesn't even have to be a war. It could be, like, conflict in general. Like, China has ongoing conflict in the South China Sea um, and with Taiwan. So is, like, that inherently more in, uh, unstable um, than other countries? Even though, I guess, the US also fights wars randomly. Yeah, but the thing with the US is it can usually sort of um, I don't know how to say this properly. Sort of like manufacture the reason to manufacture go to consent. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but you know, I I don't think China can do that as easily, uh, especially with its allies. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, definitely political system. I think huge weakness. My favorite weakness of the Chinese system. Thanks for asking, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> is um is uh, the environmental crisis in Ooh, China. Okay. China's war on the environment, as it's yeah. uh, been said. So as China um, reformed into a more market-friendly economic system in the 70s and 80s and through to the 2000s, 
Um, it did a number of things um, that tried to very quickly build up um, business and manufacturing and industry. And if you do that very, very quickly, almost in an artificial way, which it did, you tend to um, gloss over environmental regulations, um, uh, like a certain labor condition, uh, like labor um, regulations, um, other things that prevent environmental degradation. Now I'll say any, I think any kind of economic reform towards like um, capitalism will produce some, some environmental degradation as we've seen all over the world. But China's is especially terrible. They, they produce heaps of waste. Their biodiversity is very bad. Um, and the cities are, have serious pollution issues. There's also issues with drinking water as well. Pollution probably is the one that people are most familiar with in the cities of like Beijing um, and like Wuhan and stuff. Yep. The, the smoke and fog is like so thick that it's a huge health risk and it's literally lowering people's life expectancies. Um, and if the environment, the environment continues to be an ongoing problem, if it literally gets to the point where people can't live in these huge urban areas, that might incite unrest, which will, could vent itself um, uh, in, in instability. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I don't know if I entirely agree with that point, actually. I, I definitely um, agree in the fact that China hasn't had the best um, environmental management in recent years. In in recent years, I mean, since Deng's policy of, you know, hide uh, and buy. Yeah, in like the 70s, in 80s. In the 70s and 80s and such, yeah. Um, but I think it, you, you, there's a few key arguments here that can sort of, um, that I can use to argue with you here, Nick. Uh, and my first one would be the the it's a bit of a dodgy argument, but we'll move that to one side. In the fact that their GDP, and not their GDP, their um per capita CO two emissions or any greenhouse emissions really, are relatively low, especially when compared to Australia, the US. Yeah, but they have a bunch of chumps in the countryside just farming, isn't that why? Well, it, it's it's more just the fact that they're a huge country. Yeah. You know? Um, and another thing is that this is a criticism often leveled at democracies and a criticism that i almost agree with even though i love democracies <laughs> no uh, i i do really i think democracy is the best system however i don't think it is the best system to deal with climate change because you have we've seen that over the last 10 years even in all western democracies that climate change has split parties and has become a partisan issue and is thus not really ever actually had any action taken upon it whereas in china in recent years they've they've made significant steps in reducing their pollution and and um and such yeah yeah and so that'd be my the key point i make against that against that is that they can control that issue before it becomes an issue that i think will cause social unrest and you you can already see that there a lot of chinese citizens uh and not happy with the fact that their air is just basically tobacco smoke at this point. Yeah, it's um, it's very horrible by all accounts. <laughs> um, and I think that's actually a really valid point. I would so my counter to that is it's a the, the thing that makes China especially bad. And I will say that it's pretty clear that their environmental crisis is especially bad. Um, is their political system? If you look at countries like. Um, South Korea or Taiwan, who kind of industrialized, did the, a little bit of the same thing as China um, in the 70s, 80s. 
last century. Uh, their environmental crises aren't aren't nearly as bad. I think China's yeah. is especially terrible because their political system isn't a democracy and there's no real accountability. Um, that they can just kind of do what they want with no no one checking how you know fair that is, and that allows them to kind of override a lot of those environmental regulations um, and a lot of like um, uh, influence groups, uh, uh, pressure groups that exist in Western democracies that lobby the government to, you know, uh, introduce X environmental regulation, lower carbon emissions, do something like stop dumping waste here, right? China doesn't have that. And I think because economic growth is so central to their legitimacy, I think the CCP leadership will prioritise that ahead of something like the environment. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, if they try to try to protect the environment and sacrifice economic growth in some way that they view that as a bad trade-off. And it's a kind of like they're stuck in like a, like a kind of uh, the problem. They have a pro- big problem there. Cause what do they do? Yeah, stuck between a hard, a hard place and a rock. Sure. Is that the, is that the word for it? Yeah. Is I was that the phrase? Dilemma. Stuck anyway. In, yeah. I don't um, know. <laughs> yeah. It, we're putting a time lapse of this podcast up, by the way. So if, if for some reason that time lapse captures, I was nodding throughout that entire speech <laughs> by Nick. Um, and I think he raised really, really good points. And I tend to agree with most of your points, Nick. <laughs> Thanks, mate. However, one point that I think I'm going to jump on, just to really pay devil's advocate more than anything, is um the fact that you, you've prefaced that it, economic growth is so important to the Chinese government. And that they might have to sacrifice that economic growth for uh, environmental uh, progress. Um, and I'm of the opinion now that I don't actually think you need to sacrifice economic growth. I think it's actually more economically be- beneficial to uh, take environmental action. We can see that with you know how uh, renewable energy is ch- cheaper than coal now pretty much uh, and will be cheaper in coal within the next five years, you'd say. Uh, and the same goes for, you know, electric cars versus traditional cars and pretty much all, you know, solar uh, power versus, uh, you know, traditional uh, power. Pretty much all uh, things that we need these greenhouses for are slowly getting phased out through through market, through the market, mm-hmm. not even through yeah. environmental uh, government regulations anymore. It just makes better economic sense to go for these renewable options. Um, and you can see that with how China's, like, actually now acting on environmental policy and allows them to say, oh, look at us, we're the good guys, we're doing something for the environment, but they're probably just doing it for economic growth. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point and I think a very valid point for most cases. I will, there's not, I don't really have time to get into the counterpoint, but it's about like um, how like some, some issues like pollution don't get better when you transition away from greenhouse gases, they're still a bad issue. Anyway, we can talk more about that in the climate change topic, which we will eventually do. <laughs> I also want to quickly mention China has this huge, like they have 200 to 250 million workers who work in the inland provinces and then, oh, sorry, they live in the inland provinces and then work in the east and the coastal provinces yes. and then move back and forth every few months to go home to their families and such. Um, and such a, and they're traditionally, they're like there's a really weird rights system in China where you don't have certain rights in the provinces, the province that you're not from. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of issues. There, there was an issue where when coronavirus struck, they had to cancel trains and everyone was stuck in their position. And these people were like stuck in the provinces. They didn't have a right to go to the hospital there because they weren't from that province. Yeah, which um, makes perfect sense, by the way. You know. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's like 
yeah, different country. Great um, system. That's a that's a huge thing. I don't think we have time to get into that properly, but yeah, I, I, I just learned about that the other day. Yeah, that's a that's a. <laughs> I think we learned about that in the relationship, wasn't we? We did, yeah, yeah. That's um, yeah, that's very concerning. That and the whole um, East Turkestan issue. I can't remember its uh, Chinese name. Xinjiang. Yeah, Xinjiang. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, Xinjiang <laughs> province. Um, yeah, that and Tibet. Your yeah, areas of ethnic tension. Yep. Um, I was going to mention as well Taiwan. Taiwan, yeah. The issue of Taiwan. So, like, Taiwan is, you know, uh, theoretically um, a part of China, according to the Communist Party. Um, they, like, still have it as part of China on their maps and stuff, but it's not under Chinese, the CCP control. No. Um, it's uh, under the Taiwanese government, um, which isn't a country, technically. Other people haven't recognised it. Yeah, no one recognises anymore because, you know, people love money more than democracy. They do. Um, <laughs> and, you know, like, if Taiwan sits there and just is a separate entity for a few more decades and, like, China is saying, oh, but it's our country, but everyone can see that it's not, that's a kind of a, a bad look for their legitimacy. And it'll, it'll especially be an issue... When slash if China ever tries to forcefully take Taiwan, true, like you know, like they kind of have to, like they've been talking about it for so long and saying like we will do something about this, and if they don't do anything, it looks bad. If they do something, it looks bad. Exactly. It, the, again, the in a bit of dilemma there, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. A few dilemmas going yeah. around. Yeah. So there's there's clearly issues with the Chinese state, and um. I think it, it, there's issues with pretty much every major hegemon. But oh, yeah. I think the issues with China's, uh, with that Chinese state is more concern to them than in a democracy like the US. Yeah, because cause... as you said before, um, you know, uh, resentment is usually peaceful in a democracy. Whereas in a dictatorship, I don't think there's ever been a dictatorship thrown over peacefully. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like... I think we, we like we talk about the healthcare in America and how it's really bad, but come November, if Biden wins, he'll alleviate that a little bit. Um, yeah, so like a that, little bit, a little bit, not <laughs> as much as maybe we would have liked, but that's like a way of like that kind of um, uh, unrest being vented. Yeah, um, definitely. I think yeah, you know, we could even talk about this another time because there's we didn't really get into the other weaknesses, and there are even more as well. Um, yeah, and you know, like it's up to the CCP to kind of do that. So. Yeah, but uh, don't, you know, like China is, uh, you know, rising and has had a lot of success, but don't discount its weaknesses. Yeah. Moral well, me, me and Nick are starting a, a unit at uh, UWA right now, uh, which is surrounded around this pretty much entirely. So keep, uh, I hope you like listening about China because and ask us we'll questions. probably keep talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Feel free to ask us questions as well, guys. If yeah. you want to read our 3,000-word essays <laughs> on China as well, you're welcome. Yeah, I wrote Man on Japan last year, but we'll move that to next time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, what is, uh, this is the last topic, which I think we've decided now, from now on, for the next little while, during COVID at least, it's going to be a bit of a funner topic. Yeah. A little bit of a lot you know lighthearted. Po- politics is a really fun, exciting subject <laughs> to talk about. Mate. All right. For me, it actually is. But <laughs> you're right. It still can be very interesting, and you know I think a great source of entertainment is, is President Trump. Yeah, I think I said this last week. Actually, I don't mind him as a president, just purely for the the comedy. He's he's a clown and a comedian. He's like 
it's just the best, you know? It's not like it affects us what he does, right? So well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, it sort of does, but... Um, so he had, a, he had a media conference today. Um, and today is, uh, what, Tuesday the 14th. Um, and he did a thing that a president has never done, I think, in a press conference before, where he showed a video that the White House produced, which talked about how well the Trump administration is done against fighting coronavirus. And a reporter points out that for the month of February, there's just nothing on what <laughs> it just doesn't say anything. And the reporter's like, why? And Trump just doesn't answer the question. He gets really mad and like yells at her. <laughs> and oh, he's just terrible. He was just so dogged and, you know, was not answering any questions. It was, like, being really, like, mean, yelling, mm. getting angry. It was... I think this is a man on the verge of breaking. Yeah, it, he, he seems tired. He, he reminds me a lot of uh, Theresa May during the multiple Brexit no deals in that he just looks like he's just shattered, you know? Yeah, God, and you would be, like, his presidency has been, like, so <laughs> rough... I think he hates being criticised and he's criticised constantly. Yeah, it's it's really strange that uh, someone who seemingly can't take criticism well, um, and I say that seemingly just in case there's any Trump supporters listening to this <laughs> podcast, and, <laughs> um, but he seemingly can't take criticism well at all. Yet, you know, I think that's the job of the president. People criticise you for four years, you know. Yeah. That's part of it. That's the job. Look at a look at a photo of Obama before his presidency yeah, and after. After, yeah, his hair is all grey. It's gone to really him. interesting. Yeah, um, and it's just strange that he's like a child when he gets criticised. <laughs> it's just so weird. So I've I've seen people talk about this thing before. They're like, is Trump actually like smarter than we give him credit for? And like, he's just doing this kind of like dumb thing to win the populist vote, or is he actually like dumb? And I was kind of like unsure very early on, but I've I've come to the quite confident conclusion that he's just dumb. I think <laughs> he like loved being on like The Apprentice and all his reality TV shows because like he was such a dumb character anyway. Everyone was like, "Oh, he's so funny!" Like he's, he's we love goofball, him, yeah, exactly. But when he actually gets real responsibility um, and does the same thing, everyone's like, "You can't run a country this way." Yeah, I think the state of the US in general, can sort of attest to that. And that's not entirely Trump's fault. I'll preface, you know, I think that's a, a, pretty much since FDR, the US has uh, questionably, you know, acted Definitely. in you know, controlling itself. Being not not to say that it hasn't done a lot of good things. Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, but he, yeah, I think I tend to agree with you there. Um, I don't know if he is this mastermind. If he is, he's really playing a convincing uh, role. Um, yeah. And I'm just, I can't believe that people vote for him. However, upon watching Tiger King, which, you know, topical reference. <laughs> Everyone watched Tiger King. <laughs> I no spoilers, because I haven't seen the end. Nor have I. Upon watching uh, parts of it, it, <laughs> it sort of makes me understand why people would vote for him, because... <laughs> I know, I that's like exactly what I thought. Was also made me understand, like, people in America are like fucking dumb some of them <laughs> sorry any americans who are listening but oh yeah all our american listeners <laughs> yeah, true. like see the the mastermind thing was more convincing at the start but certain things like pulling american troops out of syria mm-hmm. trying to buy greenland from denmark mm-hmm. um things like that just make him like just make no sense like no president would actually want justification to do that it yeah. just makes him look like a moron and, like, it makes the U.S. lose so much legitimacy. And 
Oh man, like with this coronavirus as well, when it actually gets like very serious, he's not just embarrassing himself, like he's putting lives in jeopardy with how he's handled this. Well, he is, yeah. He yeah. already has, you know. I just think this is going to be, I, I'm going like, to, I think I'm ready to say like, I think he'll lose the election. I'm not ready to say that. However, I will go on a bit of a rant just quietly. The fact that in your country, people are dying every day. There's, you know, absolute carnage in New York. And you're you're standing up there, you know, showing off this thing about how great you are. is just disgusting, by the way. Yeah. I'm, like, it, we, we laugh about it, but that is really immoral and just gross. I agree. It's horrible. Like, you know, people quite rightly said, like, is this what you're, like, the resources of the White House are going towards, like, while the whole country's in jeopardy? It's a publicly funded campaign message for I know. It's, it was absolutely... Oh, might my, even I, violate <laughs> electoral laws It's well. absolutely, like, critically corrupt and just know, yeah. so immoral. I'm a... Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm no. Steamed it, uh, yeah, and I mean, it makes me mad as well. Like, you know, I think it's a good... Me and Rob, like, joke about a lot of this stuff. We definitely get mad about a lot of this stuff because we care about a lot of it. Um, but it, that that one point is particularly infuriating. Uh, yeah, well, especially like, oh, man, the poor poor people in the US that already have to suffer through, you know, not having a proper you know, healthcare system in this huge crisis have to deal with an absolute moron who's running the country. <laughs> well, you know... Sorry, part, sorry. <laughs> part of me thinks that, like, a lot of the people who, like, you know, the people who voted for him, like, kind of, maybe they need a wake-up call. Maybe it's, like, a see, like, what you voted for kind of thing, well, assuming he doesn't get elected again. Well, the thing is, the people that voted for him won't be getting affected as much as the people that didn't vote for him. I don't, I don't think because so. Because a lot of them were living in rural areas, and there's not as much spread. That just makes perfect sense, right? But the thing is, the rural areas still have to go on lockdown as well. Yeah. Um, and the people, when that's when the real damage occurs, when people go on lockdown. Um, but I think, as seen in Australia, okay, I've calmed down. <laughs> as seen in Australia, it, people sort of rally behind that uh, wartime idea. Anyways, as Trump, Trump, by the way, called himself a wartime leader. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> uh, like for example, Scott Morrison's approval ratings jumped through the roof. Yeah, most um, most leaders' political exactly. Approval ratings, but... Um, so I think a lot of people would be seeing that. Oh, look, he's taking action on this. Look how good he's doing a job. And no one in my small town in rural wyoming has died therefore i'm going to keep voting for it see i i don't know if i agree with that just because so like the u.s will see unprecedented unemployment it'll be like up to like 30 percent which is fucking insane like higher than the great depression and most of those households don't really have many savings they can rely on because every a lot of people in the country are actually really poor because of like the you know the economic system that they have, yeah, neoliberalism I, is a failure. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, that's the heart of it in America. I'm gonna say that really quietly. Because... <laughs> <laughs> I just, I really like, I want to think and like, I want to believe and I that that will stick. That like, and like a lot of these people, are Trump voters, like I think like the people who are the worst, some of the worst affected people by neoliberalism were Trump supporters and Trump voters because they've been. Yes, brainwashed. Definitely. I mean, like, I, that's kind of like a pejorative term. I don't care. I think they were literally, they've literally been brainwashed by the system for so many decades. Well, the, the, that, was, that was the thing is Trump, uh, you know, Trump and Bernie, a lot of people say they're the same side of the of a different, uh, no, different sides of different coins, sorry. Um, different 
shut up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're working with the same thing. The yeah, same and that's, that's, that's that anti-neoliberalism message. And a lot of people in these poorer areas of the US saw that and just jumped on it, especially when compared to someone like Clinton. And it would be the same with Biden, I believe. Yeah, because, like, honestly, I think, like the, like, the people in California, like, yes, it'll be very hard for them. But I think California is just a richer state. Those people in rural America will be, you know, worse affected, like the people in the Rust Belt who have already lost their manufacturing jobs and are already in a weird state of, like, unemployment, will be very, very badly hurt. And I think that, like, it will be such a monumental shock that I just can't see it not being vented against the president, who, you know, the media will be saying did a terrible job. I think it's very hard for people to say that he did a good job. Yeah. I think it's a message that will finally stick. Um, I tend to agree with all those points, but, and I'm not sure if this is a really good point to be honest, but I think the US, it's, those presidential campaigns are a lot more personal rather than based on, you know, especially here in Australia and such, you look at these policies. Um, and I think in the US, it's a lot more like, oh, look, look at that zinger that he got off in the debate, (laughs) you know, know, um, and I think that. Uh, helps Trump because I don't think Biden will be able to stand well against Trump in debates. Oh, so the Biden is such a junk candidate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just like I see. I think he's a junk candidate, but I think he's he's some of that like junkness is actually good, just because like he won't say anything controversial or that people don't like. And no, Trump won't. will just seem so bad in comparison. They'll just go with him. But <laughs> you never know. This is just like it's like mostly my prediction, some of my hope, but. I, I I think I'm ready to call it. I'm I'm gonna go on record and say that I think he's gonna lose in November. Okay. I am not ready to call it, but I am closer to calling it for Biden than I am to Trump. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just think his way his charisma might be able to carry him over. Especially if it's not too bad. Which <laughs> <laughs> Well maybe you know this is a theory that I've seen going around for ages as well. Maybe he doesn't want a second term. He, yeah. he might just dislike it so much that he just, like, will, like, not... will just try and lose. I feel like his pride won't let him, though. You know yeah. what I mean? I feel like he's too he's too filled with pride, that man. You can see, by the way, he takes criticism. He just... he He's just too self-believing, you know? I know. It's just so, it's so disgusting how he does it. Like, just, like, completely does not engage with any criticism. Yeah, is... it's strange. It's very, um... Uh, one party dictatorship like of him very yeah, russian very xi jinping like you know <laughs> banning winnie the pooh <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah all right that's i think we've vented a little bit of anger there so so much yeah. for the fun <laughs> the fun topic yeah maybe I, we should I, just say the, the emotional topic yeah the emotional topic don't take anything that we said too seriously in that last one yeah. um and yeah if that's the first time most of our listeners have heard me get angry about politics. Uh, <laughs> it won't be the last won't time. Won't be the last time, especially yeah. when he wins in November. Which I, think, I think Nick knows, has seen the worst of me yeah, angry about true. politics. It's true. <laughs> well, you know, we can only do the best, you know, start a podcast and try and educate people about the stuff we yep. think is important. Um, but, you know... At Unrepresentative School Podcast on Instagram. <laughs> at the end of the day, as I've said before, we just want to foster understanding. Exactly. Um, so and yeah, we want to we want to make people talk more about politics because I think it's something that isn't talked about enough, considering how important it is. And there's a stigma as well, like people don't want to talk about it because it's contentious. But exactly, you, you know, you should talk about it because it's contentious, really. And exactly. It's yeah. 
<laughs> that's a nice nice little message nice, to end yeah, on. Yeah, nice way to end. Thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, at Unrepresentative School Podcast on Instagram. On Instagram. Chuck it a follow. <laughs> Rob will be uploading the time lapse. Yeah. Um, we just wave <laughs> to it so you can see. Um, other than that, Rob, do you have anything? No, I think well done today. Uh, yep. Proud of our work. Pat ourselves <laughs> on the back. Yeah. Time to do that. Five stars on <laughs> Apple. Oh, yeah, rate us. I don't know if you can do that, but can you yeah. please rate and review us? That'd be great. Yeah. If, and if yeah. you like the show. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> do it do all the... Make us feel good about ourselves. <laughs> all right. Other than that, have a great week. I hope you had a great Easter weekend. Uh, stay safe. Stay at home. Yep. And we'll see you next time. See you next time.